Great. Well, it's a great joy to be able to speak to you guys this morning and to be invited to come and speak to you. Um, we are in this series called Tools of the Trade, if you guys have followed us. Can anyone remember which book of the Bible we're in? Nobody? You can have a Bible. Oh, we have done a bit of Ephesians. We are in Corinthians. Well done, guys. We're in Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians. Paul wrote two books to the Corinthian church. He also wrote the book of Ephesians and lots of other books that we find in our New Testament Bible. Um, and so we are turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. So if you've got a Bible, will you do that turn with me? You've already found it. Fantastic. I've got a few people queued up ready to read. So um, do you want to come and read from this version? B's going to read the first bit, Anna's going to read the second bit, and then Rochelle's going to read the third bit. And we're going to read the whole of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you're with us. Okay, when you're ready, B. I may speak in different languages of men or even on, of angels, but I do not have love, and then I am only a noisy bell or a ringing cymbal. I may have the gift of prophecy, I may understand all the secret things of God and all knowledge, and I may have faith so great that I can move mountains, but even if I have all these things, if I do not have love, then I am nothing. I may give everything I own to feed the poor, and I may give my body as an offering to be burned, but I gain nothing by doing these things if I do not have love. Fantastic. Fantastic. And it's going to carry on at number four. Ready? Big voice. Love is patient. patient and kind. Love is not jealous. It does not boast. And it is not proud. Love is not rude. Is not selfish. And does not become angry easily. Love does not remember wrong done against it. Love is not happy with evil, but is happy, happy with the truth. Love part patiently. patiently accepts all things. It always truths, trusts, trusts, always hopes and always continues strong. Fantastic, good girl. Go on then. The love never ends. Big for as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come for an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I, I put aside child, childish things. From now we, we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, but then face to face. And now I know in part, but then, but then I know fully, as I am fully known. Now these three, three, three remain, faith, hope and love, but, but the greatest of these is love. Fantastic. Didn't they do a great job, guys? Thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant reading, guys. Thank you. Well, uh, hands up if you've ever read that passage or heard that passage read somewhere before. Anyone ever heard that passage? You've heard it now. It's quite a popular, well-known passage, isn't it? And so if you've heard it, you maybe you've heard it at a wedding, maybe you've heard it at a funeral. I think even Barack Obama referenced it in one of his speeches once upon a time. It was read at Princess Di's funeral. Um, it's a very popular passage and it's a very poetic, lovely chapter. 
but it is a very lovely, beautiful chapter. But I'm going to speak to you this morning and hopefully give you a, an idea of why is a beautiful, wonderful passage, but not just because it sounds nice and because it kind of flows off the tongue and it talks about nice, warm, fuzzy things. But actually, this is a really beautiful chapter to help equip the church. So it might seem a little bit like Paul's digressing. We started this series on power tools, talking about the gifts of the spirit last week. And he now does this little bit on love. And then next week, we'll jump back into chapter 14 on power tools. But actually, Paul has very deliberately put this chapter on love right in the middle of his speech about power tools, because it's so important for the way that we operate our spiritual gifts as a church. Do you know what? The thing I'd like you to learn today is that God is more concerned with how we do church than what we do as church. For us to be a people who are so dominated by love, for genuine love, that actually in all the things we do that comes through. Not just, I do spiritual gifts now and then I'll come back and do a bit of love on the side later. Um, so as we begin to talk about this, I want to just begin to paint a picture of where we are. I don't know whether any of you have been to Corinth. Anyone been to Corinth? Any guesses of where Corinth is? In Greece. In Greece. You earlier, uh, it's about four miles. And it's oh, I did. We talked a bit about Corinth, didn't we? We did. We're I'm going to take you on holiday to Greece this morning, guys. Take you out of our frosty Swindon morning and take you on holiday to Greece. I've got some pictures, but I don't think they're going to go up. So I might have to just paint that picture for you of what it looks like. Yeah, I think it's... I don't know. Um, and as we're going on holiday, and in true, I'd put sunglasses on and I'm going to take you on the flight and all. But feel free, if you would like to come and grab a nice cocktail for your Greek holiday this morning, non-alcoholic cocktail this morning, then feel free. Gids, maybe you'd like to give some out. Noah, B, would you guys on the front row, would you help give out some of these cocktails? A nice sunrise. Just picture it, guys. It's not frosty. There's a sunrise. It's beautiful. Look here. Is, um, is a depiction of what Corinth might look like today, okay? This is like a reconstruction of Corinth. Right by the sea, all that sunshine. That's right, pass out, pass out some cocktails. So Corinth was this beautiful city that sat in the gap between kind of mainland Greece and then it slims out into this really thin bit, if you're going to see it on a map. I think I've got a map. Here we go. And it thins out into this little bit of land that's only four miles wide and then it opens back up into the rest of Greece okay so there's a Corinth sat in this um in this route where a lot of trade would happen all the kind of merchants would come through Corinth in fact this the boats actually often instead of having to go all the way around the choppy sea the boats would actually often cut across the land so nowadays in Corinth, they've got a nice canal. It only fits small, small boats still. But there's actually a canal that runs across that four-mile stretch of land today. But back in the day, I read that they would sometimes have rollers on the land. So they literally could like roll your boat up, take it four miles across, and then back into the sea on the other side. How, how bonkers is that? Um, I thought that was quite fun. <laughs> um, or they would, if it's a big boat, they might like take all your cargo out and everyone's like run it four miles across and then put it back into another boat. Um, but it was a very thin bit of land, which meant that everybody was coming through Corinth all the time. It was a very bustling, busy city. I think I see it. You can see where it is. Come point it out for us. Is it like here? That like... That's right. And what's the word right next to the dot, Matthew? Corinth. Corinth. <laughs> Can you imagine? That would be the city there. <laughs> um, 
So it was a very diverse city because it had a lot of people coming through it. There was a lot of trade that happened there, but a very rich city. They were very wealthy there because, of course, people are buying and selling all of their wares. It was a very rich city, but it was a very immoral city, which means that they weren't always making good choices and living in a way that God would have been proud of. So I guess in the same way that today we kind of have this idea that money can buy happiness, well, that was kind of where Corinth lived. All of that money meant that they were spending it on lots of things that they shouldn't have been um, and trying to buy their happiness in a different way. There's a lot of godless living in Corinth. A lot of parties, they'd have had lots of cocktails, they'd have had lots more alcohol in it and got much much more drunk. No one's getting drunk today. They are, <laughs> they are virgin cocktails. <laughs> um, it was very corrupt. It was very cliquey. Do you guys know what I mean by cliquey? When you kind of like lots of groups and I won't talk to them because I'm friends with them. It was, it was that kind of a place, okay? So lots of money, beautiful scenery, but um, not very godly. It was um, very influenced by Greek thinking. I don't know whether you guys have studied Greek, ancient Greece at school and yeah, some of those... You've studied something, and there's a lot of... Not Defro, Isla has. <laughs> she was saying yes. <laughs> there's a lot of Greek gods were based out of here. So in, I, I, think, I think we've got another picture of the... Can you go another picture? Anyway, there, there's, that's the temple to Apollo, but also in one of the other pictures, there was another Greek statue. It's a different goddess. Um, and so they had a lot of different kind of influences and they're worshipping lots of other things. And the likes of Aristotle had, had been through Corinth in the years before and Plato and things. And so there was a lot of Greek thought. And one of the things that the Greeks really loved, if you guys have studied this at school, you'll know they loved thinking very wisely about lots of things. They were very deep thinkers, these Greeks. And so they liked this idea of wisdom and knowledge and knowing all things and thinking outside the box. They were that kind of place. And actually what they elevated as important was people who could equally think wise things and speak big, elegant speeches like this. And so they valued wisdom and knowledge and speeches above love. You see where Paul's going. So he'd, Paul had actually been the one that planted the church in Corinth. He'd been there as it started. He'd spent a few years with these guys. So he knew very well the culture that was going on here. And in the time that Paul was there with the church, God had graciously and abundantly poured out his spirit on this church. The spiritual gifts were firing on all cylinders. All those words of knowledge and prophecies and tongues, tongues particularly, they were, they were spilling out of this church. Isn't God a gracious God that he would pour out his spirit in a place like Corinth, right? Into that, into that culture, God poured out his spirit. And so they were full of all these power tools. You can imagine them on a Sunday morning with, I've got drills, I've got spanners and spiritual spanners. You'll get where I'm going. <laughs> but some of this Greek thought was beginning to infiltrate the church in Corinth. So they established something good. But as Paul had kind of carried on on his journey, they're beginning to be quite influenced by their culture again. This valuing knowledge and wisdom this valuing big, impressive talk. But of course, if you can then see the mix of that with the spiritual gifts, that the gifts like prophecy and knowledge and tongues and preaching was very valued, whereas gifts of serving, gifts of caring, of those kind of gifts were not valued. And so Paul's writing back into this church that he loves so dearly to just try and 
iron out these problems and get them back on track. So that's where we're going. Paul argued throughout the whole chapter here that for spiritual gifts to function effectively, we need to be motivated by love. So as you've read, as we read through these first first few verses, we can see that Paul is going, actually, you could be like this, but it's useless. You could do that, but it's useless. Unless love is the undergirding foundational motivating factor, actually all the other stuff isn't going to work. So I think this was quite a vital message for the Corinthian church. I hope I've spread that to you that you can see, golly, these guys really needed to hear this message. But I think I think it's a really important message for us as a church too. It's a really important message. And particularly as we begin to go through this series that will take us over the next few weeks as we explore the power tools that God has got for us. And as we as a church begin to step out in using more of the gifts of the spirit, actually we need to have this foundationally centre of all that we're doing to actually stand on love. That when I speak out this morning, it's not to to promote my platform and see how wise and knowledgeable I am, but it's to kind of fill us, uh, to speak love over you guys. And so that's that's my heart for us as a church. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say too. So uh, let's have a look at the the first few verses. I think there's three kind of areas that Paul speaks into in this moment. He speaks about the tongue. And he speaks about words and uh, the things that might look impressive by what you can say. But he says that without a loving heart, it's just going to sound horrible. He says it's like a noisy bell or a clanging cymbal. It's not going to sound good if your motivating factor is not love. And he, in fact, he says it will achieve nothing. It will achieve nothing. And then he says, what about your mind? Those, those gifts that are like knowledge, wisdom, even things like prophecy, even talks about miracles as well. They're not for spiritual superiority. They're not for spiritual superiority. They're actually, those tools are for sharing love, not for showing status. Actually, and I I think we can fall into that trap, can't we? Of thinking, well, I've heard from God. And that looks superior spiritually to some of those other gifts. I think we can be like that. And actually, they're not for showing our superiority. God speaks to us and shares his heart with us so that we can share his heart with others out of love. That's what prophecy is for. That's what sharing words of knowledge. That's what bringing our wisdom is for. And thirdly, he talks about giving, caring, the acts of the hand, the doing stuff, the things that show care and love and giving all you have for the poor, even giving your body to be burned. There was, um, back in the time that Paul was writing, there was, there was martyrs who would think that great gained them extra kudos in heaven if they would give their whole life and be burnt. Sometimes some, some um, commentators talk about that being like branded as in slavery or as in um, prison. Some have talk about martyrdom. But it's that idea of suffering, sacrificial. I give all that I have. And actually, Paul says, that's good. It's good. That's the life Jesus modelled, isn't it? He gave all that he had. He was giving. He was kind. He suffered. But if you don't love like Jesus loved, then it's not his gospel that you're advancing. It gains nothing. It's not his gospel. I mean, all the things that are described in 1 Corinthians 13 at the beginning of this passage, they're all good things. They're all really good things. We should eagerly desire knowledge, wisdom, prophecy, tongues, all of the power tools that we've been talking about. We should want them all. They're good things. But love is so important that apart from it, every other 
good thing is useless. Sometimes we make the mistake of letting something that's good become the best thing. Actually, we can prioritise what's good over what is best. And I think Paul is just asking us to realign, actually seek after the best thing. Don't, don't put the good thing as the best thing. Do you, do you see the distinction? So what kind of love is it? That Paul is talking about. You see, the, we use this one word, love. You guys, grown-ups might have heard this before. We use one word for love. It's much easier. One word, love. But the Greeks used to use a few different words. They use this word, storge, which I may have pronounced wrong. I did try. Storge, which is a kind of family love. It's how I love my children. It's how I love my, um, my parents. It's, it's that kind of family love. And if you have got a brother or sister, you might know what kind of love this is because you're like, kind of don't like them a lot of the time, but I do love them. If you've got a brother or sister here, you might know that kind of love. There's a few children looking like, oh, no, that's true. Um, <laughs> but there's a love in your family that even when they are driving you mad, you still love them. You might not like them, but you still love them. That's, that's storge, okay? Not that kind of love that Paul is talking about. Don't panic. He's also not talking about filial love, which is a friendly love. It's the way I love a lot of you. It's that kind of uh, deep affection for you. It's, it's not fake. It's, it's not belittled, but it's a deep affectionate love, how you love friends. Yeah. Um, it's not talking about that kind of love. It's a very different kind of love to that. In fact, he's not even talking about eros, which is a, a romantic love, the way you love your husband or your wife. It's not talking about that kind of love. In fact, the New Testament writers, they say, probably created this word as they, as they wrote. And grown-ups, you've probably heard it. Do you want to tell us what it is? Agape. 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 It's, it's a word that kind of was developed by those New Testament writers because none of those words really covered it. That wasn't quite that type of love, and it's not that type of love. There's, in fact, there's this new type of love called agape. Kids, can you say it with me? Agape. 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 Okay? This is a different kind of love. In fact, this is a kind of love like no other love. This kind of love is that sacrificial giving, preferring somebody else over myself. In fact, it's the love that God shows to his people. And it's the kind of love that we show to God and to each other. And so Paul is asking us to use this kind of love in the church. Not just deep affection. I like you. I, I even really like you. Not just that for each other, but this sacrificial, self-giving, preferring one another love. Let's see why. So this is what it looks and feels like. This should, it's, it's amazingly working, the screen now, after, after worship, right? <laughs> there's, there's four ways that um, I think we could categorise this next chunk of love is patient, love is kind, all of, the, all of those bits that Anna read for us beautifully. Well, Paul talks about it being patient and kind. It will put up with a lot. This kind of love will put up with a lot. Where your brother or sister can drive you mad and you think, that's it, I'm done. Actually, this kind of love puts up with a lot. And it, get, it does good to other people. It's that kind of love. It's the kind of love that prefers other people. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It prefers someone else. It's not fake. It shows them honour. And it can be anonymous. It can be anonymous. If you're preferring somebody else, actually you're not looking for your own gain. You're just looking for them to, to receive. Actually, it can be anonymous. Isn't that interesting? It pursues peace. Paul says it's not provoked to anger. It's not vengeful. It's compassionate. In that bit that says, um, it says it's not happy with 
evil, but is happy with the truth. The commentators would say that truth is talking about gospel living. Actually, it's not rejoicing in evil. It's not rejoicing when others are doing wrong. It's rejoicing when they're living righteously. It's applauding and celebrating somebody else living truthfully. It's rejoicing with them. It's not jealous of that. It's not going, they're trying to make themselves proud. It's not, and, it, and I, I think I've put here, it persists in hope. You know, it's believing the best. It's persisting, hopefully, to believe the best in someone. It's not saying, oh, well, you know, that's probably what they want and guessing their motive to be something that it's not and thinking the worst of someone believes the best. In fact, it protects from shame. It protects others from shame, not trying to gossip about where that person stumbled. John's got a wart. It's, it's not like that. <laughs> did you hear? Did you hear? I meant it in the podcast. It's in the podcast now. It's a different John, just if you're listening online. It's, it's not this John. <laughs> it's protecting from shame. It's not trying to platform somebody else's downfall. It's seeking out the best in others. It's holding firm despite hurt. That's hard, guys. That's something that all other love doesn't do. That any other love outside of the, our, our relationship with Christ doesn't do. Someone hurts you, the world says cut them off. It says cancel them. Agape love says no, you hold firm despite hurt. You hold firm. It trusts. I love, I love that Paul says, he uses this, he says, it accepts all things. All things. Not just some of the things. Wouldn't some of the things be easier? I would love it if Paul had said, just accept some of the things, but have your limit. <laughs> he doesn't, he says, all things. It always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. It's an all thing. Do you know, guys, as we grow together and as we do life as Trinity Life Church together, as imperfect people, we will discover things about each other that we don't like that hurt us and cause us pain. I can guarantee if that's not happened with me already, then you probably will experience it soon because I'm not a perfect person and I know I hurt people. And my, I go back to my father and I repent of my sin and I ask for the Holy Spirit to help me again. But actually, it will try your patience. We will try each other's patience. We will have to hold on to those all things, to those always hoping, always trusting always persevering. Agape love bears with people. It bears with them. Paul wants us to remember that giftedness is not the measure of spiritual maturity. That's what the Corinthians would, were led to believe, that how good you looked, that giftedness, that profound, wise words, like that with your beard, that that would make you mature. That was what maturity looked like. Paul would say the display of love it's how well you love is what shows you to be spiritually mature. Um, I get, I, I would, as I was coming from this point, and I thought, well, what does that look like for Trinity Life Church? And I started thinking about, well, what does that look like for us to display love to people, to diff all the different people in our diverse community? What does that look like? And I thought, I could have a like, nice slide with all the answers on it. And I thought, no, no, no. No, Becky, you're a kid's worker. <laughs> They find the answers themselves. So I'm going to get you to have a little chat with the person next to you. And I've literally just, um, I said, how can we show God's agape love to, and then I've put 
a different thing on each slip. So some of this one's to those who've never stepped foot inside the church. This is to the quietest child. This one's to those on the fringes of the church. So will you turn to someone next to you? I'm going to give you a slip of paper and you've just got a couple of minutes to think, how? How can we show this agape love to somebody like that? Is that okay? You all look horribly worried by this idea that you might have to talk in the middle of a talk. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm going to just give you a couple, a couple round the room. Okay, just final few thoughts and we'll come back together. Hmm. Oh, I, don't, I hope that's been a helpful conversation for you. I think we came up with loads of good ideas. And actually, what did you say, Brenda? I think they're not tricky things to do, are they? I don't know about you, but we're coming up with ideas that just, just talking to them. Like, maybe that's the kind of stuff you came up with. It's not necessarily really hard stuff for us to do, is it? It doesn't cost us very much to love genuinely and warmly. Sometimes it will. It's that sacrificial giving of ourselves that thinks I'd rather talk to my friend or I'd rather have the nice people around for coffee. And it does feel sacrificial, but actually it's simple. so simple isn't it yeah 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 I've heard that too I've heard that too I think I mean as a children's pastor for me actually it's so easy to just talk to the kids you know so often the, the, the family comes through the door and the, the conversation happens up here at I height with the adults and the children kind of come in without even a greeting I don't think we're like that as a church which is wonderful I think we're really good at loving all people all ages but actually as we grow that's something we need to be so so mindful of isn't it as we begin to have more and more people gather into our meeting, I want to come and have a good old chat with you guys because I love you and I want to talk to you. But actually, we need to be loving and kind and welcoming to those visitors too, those that will come to us and join our, join our gathering, being mindful of those things. Well, I just want to quickly finish with that second part of the chapter that, that Rochelle beautifully read for us. Um, in the second part of the chapter, Paul encouraged us to, us to keep our eyes on that finishing line. Um, he uses the, the terminology, that which is perfect. That which is perfect. Um, in the Greek, he uses this word telos. Because everyone's like, well, what does he mean, that which is perfect? You know? um, and he uses this word telos. And where it's used in other places in the New Testament, it's used to talk about that time when Jesus will come back. It's used to talk of heaven, of end times, of that moment when actually all is restored to perfection in relationship with God. And so as we, as we kind of get a picture of what Paul's talking about here in the second part of the chapter, he's encouraging us to keep our eyes fixed on that final moment when it is all made complete, that moment when we are face to face, that we're not looking through the mirror dimly. Cor Corinth was known for making mirrors. One of the reasons that Corinth was famous was they made mirrors. So it's quite an interesting imagery that Paul uses speaking into that church when he says it's like looking through a mirror dimly. In fact, the way that they'd make mirrors was to use, like, um, completely flattening out metal. And so if you've ever tried looking in metal for your reflection, it's nowhere near as good as looking in a mirror that we have today. And that's the image he's saying. It's, it's, it's that kind of dim... You can kind of see the reflection, but it's not polished. It's not clear. It's that mirror dimly idea. We've, um, we've got some building work starting at our house in the next few weeks. If you've been around, our kitchen wall's going back, so it's, it's a, it, but it's starting very, very soon. And I, I feel a bit overwhelmed by this idea of we're going to have to be camp cooking on the camp hob. There's going to be workmen everywhere. There's going to be dust, so much dust. And all the power tools and the wires and all the, 
the rubble, all of that, that will probably take us through till Easter. And it's that idea of, oh my goodness, what's, what am I going to live with? And it's keeping my eyes fixed on that. Finished, it's going to be worth it in the end. And the moment I live with this temporary situation of camp cooking and hoovering constantly, but actually those things that seem important to me now, I won't need later. I won't need to be cooking on my camp pub later because I have my real kitchen. And I, I won't need to be kind of stepping over power tools and be aware of putting my shoes on when I go into the kitchen because of what there might be on the floor. Those things are important now, but they're, ne they're unnecessary later. And it's that that Paul's trying to talk about here. And, and hear me, because this passage can be sometimes uh, confusing to understand what Paul's saying about the ceasing of, of things saying like prophecies not needed and tongues aren't needed. And so if we can understand that the word that Paul is using is talking about when Jesus comes back, he's not talking about that happening anytime before completeness comes, perfection comes. I don't know about you, but I've not found perfection or completeness in our world yet. That's happening when Jesus returns. And in the meantime, we need these gifts like prophecy and tongues and wisdom and knowledge and giving, all of those power tools that we'll, we talked a bit about last week and we'll talk more about next week, but we need those in the now because we are seeing in that mirror dimly. We've not got a perfect picture of completeness and we don't know God face to face in the way that we will do when completion comes, when perfection comes. When we're standing face to face with Jesus in heaven, we're not going to be needing somebody to kind of interpret a little bit of like, I saw this picture and I think it means. But now we do. Now we do. Those things are important now, but they won't be necessary later. And so Paul's making this argument with the Corinthians where he's saying, he's basically saying, like, you are valuing these things that are just temporary you're putting them on the pedestal as the thing that you should desire most above all things. But actually, they'll, they'll be gone. Actually, when we're standing face to face with our creator in heaven, that amazing day when we get to stand in glory, in completeness, in perfection, actually, those things will be passed away. But love will remain. Hallelujah. Love will remain. Yeah. We will still love with that agape love, our father and his son. And we will still need to love one another with that agape love when we stand in heaven amongst each other, worshipping, pushing for the front row in the throne room to try and get into worship. We will need to love each other with agape love in that moment. But we won't need to be speaking in tongues and the, the languages of angels because we can be speaking to our glorious father face to face. So it's right to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And we're going to pick that up next week. It is right to eagerly want the gifts of the spirit because they're so necessary for the now I'm not going walking in my kitchen without my shoes on because that's not safe now we eagerly need those things in the now while we're waiting for that completeness but more importantly we need to eagerly desire to be full of his agape love because we desperately need his agape love towards God and towards each other while we're being Jesus' body here on earth, let's love like he loved until the day that he comes back and that love is shown in all its completeness. I'd love it if we could just stand for a moment whilst we just... I think, I think this needs to come home because I can try and muster up love 
in myself, but it's not going to be easy to do by myself. In fact, Matthew, will you be a helper for me? I've got, I've got some little glass hearts and I actually have a stone I found on a beach a couple of years ago and I keep it in my coat pocket. I didn't bring my coat or I'd show you, but it looked like a heart and I have it in my coat pocket um, to remind me of that, what's really important. So I'd just love it, could you just give one out so everyone's got one in their hand? That would be really helpful. I want to ask you, just as we, can, can you just, well, I say close your eyes while you're also receiving a stone heart in your hand. Um, <laughs> what is your Christian life focused on? What do you really want more of? When you strip back all of the outside performance parts, what do you really want more of? It should all come back to faith, hope and love. It's those things endure. So if you're someone like we had those at the beginning, Paul talked about the tongue and the mind and the hand. And if you're one of those people that's a words person, you're quick to speak and to fill the silence with your words. Then let's just take pause now and ask the spirit to come and fill your words with love and not waffle. If you're a wise and knowledgeable person that people come to for advice, turn to you for answers. Or maybe you know that you hear God easily. You know that receiving his wisdom and his words comes easily to you. Then let's ask God for his unfathomable love, not our knowledge, but his unfathomable love that we could share more than we can simply know. Or if you prefer the practical route of putting your hands to work, serving others, giving what you have, maybe even suffering in the process, sacrificing more than you feel you ought to. Maybe it does feel costly to you to serve with your hands. Ask the Spirit to pour out his love, his love that doesn't run dry, his, his love that doesn't have limits, his love that doesn't give up or resent those that you serve. We can freely receive, freely receive his love so that we can freely give. So just invite you to just, I mean, I'm going to stand with my hand, with my heart in my hand. I'm just going to take a pause for a minute or two. We're just going to receive his help to love. The spirit wants to raise up love in us today. So whether you're the youngest child in the room or the oldest grown up, we need you in our church. So kids, will you do this too? You've got your heart in your hand. And we just close our eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've shown us how to love by giving sacrificially to people who don't deserve it. Holy Spirit, we need your help to be people who love like you love, to give like you gave. Holy Spirit, would you come and pour out your love, your agape love on your people again? You help us to feel what it is to be loved like that. And would you gift us with our tongues, with our minds and with our hands. You gift us to love people like you loved and like you do love.
You help us. You help me. We just receive from you now.